Hello, hello, and welcome to The Emotional Millennial. My name is Annie, and I'm so excited that you're here with me today. I have gone through an immense amount of personal growth throughout the past year, and I'm no longer not talking about it. Our world needs more authenticity, honesty, vulnerability, and with this podcast, I'm simply doing my part. I'm a little nervous for today's episode because I'm going to be opening up about my journey with anxiety and basically when I made my first appointment with a psychiatrist, how that went, the symptoms I was experiencing that led me to want to make an appointment, um, and then also like the treatment that I received for it. It's kind of ironic because I'm actually feeling pretty anxious right now. Um, I can feel my heart beating a little bit faster in my chest and kind of, uh, I don't know, my chest sometimes even moves because my um, heartbeat will be so intense. So there's a cute little side effect of my anxiety. So without a doubt, I have had anxiety my entire life. I just didn't really know it. Um, I thought that everybody's brains kind of worked the way that mine did and didn't really have that awareness growing up, which I guess kind of makes sense because us millennials uh, didn't really have any discussions about mental health when we were growing up. Reflecting back on my childhood, I realized that I had an appointment actually with the pediatrician that I made specifically because I was having these fainting spells, which now I realize were kind of like panic attacks that would lead me to faint. Um, typically when I was around needles or um, I think also like just generally with blood draws, honestly, it was pretty medically related, which is hilarious because I had so many people tell me like, how are you going to be a doctor if you're scared of needles? It's like, okay, well, guess what, bitch? Here I am. <laughs> I'm a doctor. So so I went to the pediatrician and I was like, okay, I start feeling a little bit dizzy. And then it's like, I can't stop thinking about it. Like my mind is spiraling and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And then I usually end up like blacking out and fainting. Um, and he told me basically like, you just have to stop thinking about it. Like, oh, wow, thanks, I'm cured. Um, but <laughs> at that time, I mean, I was so young and obviously I'm going to trust my doctor. And so I was like, okay, I kind of felt like an idiot. Um, I kind of felt like it's all in your head and, you know, it's my fault that I can't control my brain and I can't stop thinking about these things. So I didn't really have any help from that appointment. But now looking back, if I had someone come into my office with the exact same things that I was explaining to my then pediatrician, I would immediately be like, um, yeah, you got anxiety. And I'm not going to sit here and blame my pediatrician for not diagnosing me at that time. I mean, I can't really blame him. It probably wasn't really within his training. Um, mental health wasn't really discussed at that age, at least for me, I know it's much more um, of a topic of discussion now. And like a lot of Gen Z is like very aware and comfortable talking about mental health. But us millennials, like we did not have that experience. Um, a lot of us are now realizing when we're in our 20s, like, oh, wait, like maybe I do have a mental health issue. And that's exactly what happened to me. In college, I think I had a couple friends I knew that were on anxiety medications I really didn't understand it. I didn't understand what the medications were doing or why they were taking them, but as a friend, it was supportive, and of course, that's fine. It wasn't until I started medical school that 
my anxiety, which was normally like kind of just like at a chill baseline, let's say like two to four, okay, on my average day out of 10 is like where my anxiety was chilling throughout like my whole life, college. But when I got to medical school, that went straight up to a 10. Um, It was really inhibiting my ability to function and focus during class and when I was trying to study. The environment of medical school literally breeds anxiety, in my opinion. You are constantly surrounded by people who are doing so much, achieving so much, and it forces you to compare yourself to other people and think, am I doing enough? Like, should I be doing that too? Like, that person's so much smarter than me, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's a really, really toxic environment, in my opinion. I had a close friend in medical school who I knew was dealing with anxiety and working through that. And so I am so grateful to this individual. They know who they are. They were my support system and the person that I went to when I was realizing and developing that self-awareness like, oh, wait, like this is a problem and I need to do something about it. And that was really, really terrifying for me because none of us want to admit that there's something wrong with us, right? But it got to the point where I couldn't be myself. I was unable to reach my full potential because my anxiety was seriously inhibiting me. I actually wrote down in my notes app some of the symptoms that I was experiencing on a day-to-day basis so that I could, you know, when I talk to the psychiatrist, tell her about these symptoms, but also just for my own mind and my own self-reflection to see, like, as I'm going through this journey of trying to control my anxiety, like, this is what I was feeling then and then comparing it to how I feel now. And I'm really grateful that I did that because now looking back, it's it's nice to see that I'm not really experiencing all of those things as much anymore. So personally, my anxiety is typically rooted in social situations. I have a very high level of self-awareness, which can be a good thing, but it's a double-edged sword because it also really makes my anxiety that much worse when I'm around other people, and it's honestly very exhausting for me. My mind is constantly thinking about not what I'm doing, but what other people are thinking about what I'm doing. And if you can relate to this, I'm sure you understand. And if you can't, um, well, I guess you can get a little peek inside of the mind of someone with uh, pretty bad social anxiety. So this note I wrote June 27th, 2018 at uh, 10 p.m. if we're being extra specific. So worrying constantly, overthinking simple situations, coming up with crazy scenarios of what may happen, usually thinking or expecting the worst, creates trust issues with other people. Example, driving in bad snow. Okay, so this is a good story. When I was in Colorado visiting my um, best friend, we were driving, I think it was like to Aspen or Breckenridge or something. Some drive where you're starting in Denver and you're driving through the mountains and it was snowing really badly and I'm in the back seat and the driver could tell how anxious I was 
and she was so mad at me because it was making her anxious. So that's just like a, a little example of, you know, how anxiety can like create like odd situations between relationships like in the moment. All right, my next example, I gave social situations. I think everyone is watching everything I do. Even eating in front of people is difficult for me. And actually, I remember in high school, <laughs> I would eat my lunch, right, during lunchtime, obviously, but I would really, really avoid taking anything out of my lunch bag because I didn't want other people to see what I was eating, which is so odd, but everyone's anxiety manifests in different ways. And like, that was something that I guess I was insecure or anxious about. Then I say, I immediately think people are out to get me or are talking about me negatively. My relationships are more complicated than they need to be. I overthink decisions that are made by other people. And I'm so conscious of what others are thinking. So those were all or at least some of my mental symptoms that I wrote down at the time. Now let's go into physical symptoms I wrote down. I can feel my heartbeat in my arms, in my blood pulsing. I can feel random pulsating of different vessels. It feels like they're having a spasm, mainly in my left axilla, okay, what your left armpit, <laughs> um, in my neck, I've had it. The back of my throat also will tighten or feel kind of numb. It's not like my breathing is obstructed, but it feels very different to me. It feels like it's more challenging for me to breathe at times. It's almost like I feel nauseous. I feel unsteady, unsure of what's going to happen. I feel like light in a way. My chest feels light and I'm on the verge of tears. Like I feel really sad, but almost numb and isolated. Like other people can't understand what I'm feeling. Trying to focus, but I have so much running through my mind that it's really hard to calm my mind and study. I feel that med school has made it worse. If I am doing nothing, I have this sense that I'm doing something wrong because I'm so used to being busy. I can feel my heart pounding through my chest, and my heart rate is almost always elevated. And when I can feel my heart beating in my chest, I am always convinced that the people around me notice it too. And that's something else that is kind of interesting for me, is that I have always thought that my aura when I'm around other people and like the energy I bring to situations, I've always been convinced that I bring an anxious energy. And I've asked so many of my close friends about this and they told me like, no, like I can't tell that you're anxious, but when I'm sitting there and I'm anxious, all I can think to myself is, oh my God, everyone knows I'm anxious. Calm down, calm down, like stop freaking out. But once again, that's in my head because other people aren't thinking that, it's just me. So those were all of the notes that I had written down before I went and saw a psychiatrist. Other things that I've thought about that I wanna add is um, in medical school, we say that the information that's coming at you is like water out of a fire hose. And that is the truth. I mean, you're getting slammed with lectures every week and it's hard to keep up with. And then you have an exam Usually ours were on Fridays and then I would take the weekend off. And so what would happen is I would be anxious, 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 like so anxious all the way up through the exam, like before the exam, even during the exam, like my hands are sweating. I'm kind of shaking, like <laughs> writing with my pencil. Like sometimes I would get like sweat marks like on my laptop because of my hands sweating so much. Like maybe that's TMI, but I'm being honest here. 
And what I noticed was I'd have this really, really high peak of anxiety, like week of the test, during the test, so that when I got home after the test, I was exhausted mentally, physically. And honestly, I would become a hermit, turn off the lights, and I just wanted to be in my bed. I wanted to be alone. And I would reach these really, really low points because I was in this pattern of like high to low, which is obviously very unhealthy, but it was something that at the time I had no control over and it just was my reality. And so I was noticing all these things, talked to my friend and I was like, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to make an appointment with a psychiatrist. And so I did it. I was in the waiting room at the psychiatrist's office. I was texting my friend like, I mean, this was pre-COVID era, so looking around the waiting room like, oh my God, like, are all these people crazy? Like, are they looking at me and they think I'm crazy? And I just felt so vulnerable, like sitting there in that office and like feeling like people were looking at me and judging me, which LOL, that's literally social anxiety and that's why I'm going there to get treated. But um, I remember texting her and just spilling all of these thoughts and emotions about it. And she kept telling me, you know, it's going to be okay. It is what it is. So I'm sitting down for my appointment. And of course, I start crying because I'm really overwhelmed. And this was a problem that I was struggling with for so long, but that I hadn't really actually verbalized to many people out loud. And so as soon as I started verbalizing all of my issues to my psychiatrist, I started crying and her response was, oh wait, yeah, because I apologize for crying because of course I'm going to apologize for crying and having emotions, God forbid. And she says to me, it's okay if there's any place to cry, it's a psychiatrist's office. Barely looks at me. I think she's like, there's tissues next to you. She's just typing and not even really like providing me with any empathy or support. It was honestly, a pretty wild experience. I was shocked, to be honest, because I was in medical school at the time. And I'm like, hold on, like, I am currently learning how to treat patients in my office. And what you're providing me with right now is no bueno. Like, this is not, this is not how this should be going down. But at the same time, this is my first time at the psychiatrist. Like, what the heck do I know, right? So, I leave the psychiatrist and she prescribed me 10 milligrams of Lexapro and I left feeling not much better. I was like, okay, let's like try this medication. That's fine. I was, I actually remember I was like filling up my car with gas after the appointment and I started crying again because I'm like, I still feel so unseen so unheard. I don't feel like cared for at all. I basically felt like she was looking down, typing the entire time, and then just like threw some medication at me. Which, okay, I'm really hoping I'm not like steering people away from going to the psychiatrist. I am certain that not every single one is like that. This is strictly my experience, but I was seriously disappointed in that experience I had. I was also prescribed a different medication at this time, but I will save that whole discussion for another date because that is an entire new can of worms. So now let's talk about 
my journey with Lexapro, aka Lexi Bay, I like to call her. <laughs> um, I started taking it and the only like initial symptoms that I was having was like every single night at 2 a.m. I would like wake up and look at the clock. It was so odd. It happened for like the first week and that was the only thing that I really noticed. This medication doesn't really kick in until like four to six weeks after you start taking it. And I was really, really nervous when I was taking it because, you know, this is something new. It's foreign. And like, I don't know how my body specifically is going to react to it. But luckily, I really didn't have that many side effects. So I vividly remember the first time that I realized like, oh my gosh, I think this medication is working. I think it's helping me. And (laughs) this is such a silly story. I was playing volleyball with um, other people in med school. Honestly, I think it was like some wellness activity. They like force wellness upon us to like make our mental health better. Classic. Um, So I'm playing volleyball. And typically like when I'm doing things in front of other people, all I can think is like, okay, like do this, do that. Like other people are watching you, like don't do anything weird, whatever. And I was playing volleyball and like I like hit the ball a few times, whatever. And I realized like, whoa, I am not thinking about what other people are thinking about me. How trippy is that, right? It's like a little bit confusing. But that was an incredible moment for me. Like that was a huge breakthrough for me. And it was like so amazing to have that feeling and realize that like, this is working and like I'm getting better. And I was so excited once I realized that. When I started feeling like results from uh, the Lexapro, it wasn't anything like hits you out of left field, like, oh, now I feel it or something. It's like very, very subtle things that occur in your life where you realize like, oh, this happened and normally I would react this way, but I actually don't feel that anymore and I'm feeling this way instead. It was almost like instead of those like ups and downs I was continuously having, I felt like I was more at like a steady baseline where I was able to function on like a day-to-day basis and not not have my mind like running wild as much. Don't get me wrong, like my anxiety was still a little bit present, but like it wasn't at that 10 anymore. It was like, I don't know, five or six. Oops, I just hit the mic. Um, I don't know. Is it like a five or six, which... I'll take it. You know, it is what it is. I'll take it. Anything is great. So I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk about my initial experiences with Lexapro and the ways that my anxiety was manifesting in my life, in medical school, and in social situations, and kind of how I approached that. If you have any questions or if you want to hear anything else about my initial experiences, please reach out the emotional millennial at gmail.com. I really am an open book. I'm trying to be as vulnerable and authentic as possible when I'm talking about this stuff. And so I really hope that that's coming through and you can feel that as you're listening to me. If you too are experiencing anxiety or if you have experienced anxiety, you are not alone. Okay. There are so many people who experience it whether they are aware of it or not. 
It is so important that we continue sharing our stories and talking about our personal experiences with anxiety and the ways that it has manifested in each of our lives and how we find the strength to get through it and tackle it because that's how we're going to be able to destigmatize it and normalize these experiences because guess what? They are normal. There are so many people who are going through these things and I feel your pain. I hope this episode has made you feel a little bit more seen, maybe a little bit more heard, and um, maybe you can relate to some of these experiences that I have shared with you today. Thank you so, so much for listening. I really appreciate your time, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye. I also wanted to mention that on my website, emotionalmillennial.com, there are full transcripts of these podcast episodes. If you are hard of hearing or if you just prefer to read, totally fine. It's emotionalmillennial.com. And once again, my email is theemotionalmillennial at gmail.com. T-H-E emotionalmillennial at gmail.com. Okay, now for real this time. Bye. Mm-hmm.